podcast from clippingchains.com where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host Chad Andrews and hi how are you? I'm doing good thank you for asking. I did find out I had a herniated disc. I got an MRI that's fun but you know what I read? I think like a lot of people would have a herniated disc. If you just took a bunch of people off the street a lot of discs out there that are herniated. Anyway today on episode 18 I want to welcome Kenzie King. If you listened to last week's interview with Michael Langer, you will recognize Kinsey as Michael's girlfriend. Kinsey and Michael walked away from lucrative engineering careers in Houston, Texas, and moved into a van. Again, a lot of people do that. Nothing very spectacular there. However, only months later, again, just kind of sitting around in a laundromat in San Diego, they're like, hey, you know what? What do you think about uh, doing the Pacific Crest Trail? What do you think about hiking? 2,600 miles for five months. Does that sound like something you want to do coming up here, you know, maybe? And they said, yeah. So they did it. And they hiked all the way from the Mexico border in Southern California to the Canadian border, way up in, you know, where Washington and Canada meet. That's where that is. So I promise you, this is not a retelling of last week's story. Kinsey has a very unique perspective on their journey. And regardless of your thoughts on backpacking or through hiking, You're like, dude, I just climb in rifle. I want to belay from my car. I don't want to hear about hiking. I think you'll see that Kinsey shares a number of insightful opinions on the evolving dynamics of workplace culture, relationships in trying environments, and levels of financial or emotional security necessary to make bold and truly lasting changes in our lives. And I think that's something for even those rifle people, even the boulderers. So hang on all the way to the end for some of the best moments of this conversation. I promise it gets better as we go. So some conversation topics with Kenzie today. Uh, Kenzie actually had an original interest in achieving financial independence and retiring at approximately age 35. But she had a change in plans and decided she wanted to take a year-long sabbatical and travel the world, knowing full well that that would maybe disrupt her, you know, early retirement plans or shift it back. But she was okay with that. Of course, You know, something happened in early 2020, this pandemic rolled through and it changed her plans. So instead, she moved into a van with this guy, Michael, who you'll remember from last week, and they started traveling all over the country, having never lived together, by the way. So that's interesting. But they met some challenges. You know, winter rolled in, the van starts feeling a little claustrophobic, not enough social scene, starting to feel lonely. They wanted change and they made what was already a big change, moving into a van and made it bigger and decided to hike the PCT. So of course we have lots on the PCT here, navigating the complex lottery system, ideal start times, budgeting, food, day in the life routines. She gave us a lot of detail here. It's really good stuff. And then we talk a lot about just this idea of do we save money or do we live for today? You know, it's always this kind of balancing act of taking care of our later self versus, you know, honoring today's self. And that's something I've been battling with really my entire life. And that's entirely the reason I have this platform today is to really discuss this intricate balance. And then of course, we want to talk about the implications of this great resignation, something we're hearing more and more about and the pros and cons for workplace culture going forward. One point of clarification 
Mackenzie mentioned her cash savings of $60,000 she had set aside to fund her sabbatical. To be clear, she also had quite a bit more already stored away in her workplace retirement and other brokerage accounts. So this was not just her only savings. She has had some other retirement accounts that have remained untouched throughout this adventure and have continued growing. So just wanted to point that out. As usual, head on over to your show notes to get in touch with Kenzie and to find a number of resources related to this discussion. And finally, if you are enjoying this show and this resource, I'd really appreciate your support. And the best thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do, is to simply subscribe to this podcast and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. Or just a rating. Whatever. That helps. I really appreciate it, guys. Enough yapping. Let's get into this week's conversation with Kenzie King. All right. But hey, yeah, we're rolling anytime. Kenzie, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, t- so you're now joining us from, joining me from Houston, back where this all started? Yeah, back in Houston where I was working for five years before I decided to quit jump in a van with my boyfriend and start a year-long sabbatical. And so now it's actually been more than a year. No, that that's a perfect lead-in. I kind of wanted to back up to the early days. Tell me about what you were doing in Houston now that you've come full circle before any of this ever began. Yeah, so I was working as an environmental engineer for a natural gas pipeline company. And I was working in their climate change division uh, doing what I felt like was pretty meaningful work, working Mm -hmm. on methane reduction and trying to get these guys to set some long-term climate change goals. Uh, But actually within a few months of starting right after college, I was like, I don't know if I can sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life. I've seen people that have been here for 40 years at the same desk. And that's just, that's not going to be me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to end up in Houston. So when I hit five years, I'm going to quit and I'm going to travel. Um, travel the world. And so that helped me start saving a bunch of money. And I started reading Mr. Money Mustache and Mm. got super into the fire movement, which was good because it was either that or I had been looking at buying a $50,000 car that had air conditioned seats because I was just so sweaty in Houston. (laughs) (laughs) I I could relate. Yeah, we we have a lot in common because I also started my adult career in Houston. And I definitely remember sweaty seats. <laughs> yeah. Are you from Houston? No, I grew up in New Mexico. Oh, that, okay. Right. Of course. We just talked about this. So you're, you're, you're originally from what the Albuquerque area? Yep. The Albuquerque area. And then I went to school in Colorado and so I've always had mountains and nature. And mm, okay. You know, Houston is a fun place as a young adult. It's, you know, you get to go out, you get to eat food, go to sports games, but definitely missing any sense of topography. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's a fun, it's a great place to eat. It's a great place to be in a city and people are lively and friendly. It, there's always something going on. But if you have that pull to, to nature, the outdoors, it, I mean, it's definitely lacking in that department. Yeah. And you can, you can be outside every day and you can find those urban parks. It's just, it's so much work for mm-hmm. something that's not the same as being in the foothills or being in real nature. So yeah, I knew that we were, I knew that I wanted to get out of there. And then I had, 
I think I had eight months till I was going to quit. And then that's when I first went on a date with Mike. And (laughs) I told all of them this on the first date. I was like, I'm out of here, quitting my job. Um, I don't even know why I was going on dates at that point, honestly. But (laughs) (laughs) you were about to leave. (laughs) But luckily, he, he also was of that mindset. And I think by our third or fourth date, he bought the van. Wow. Well, I kind of want to dive into this mindset. Again, I can relate. At what point in your career did you know that that this was not going to be something you could do for 40 years? Yeah, I mean, I I do think it was in that first month or two. Really? That soon? Yeah. And maybe it was just that shock of being right out of college and Mm, having so much flexibility in your day. And, you know, you could take a two hour long walk outside in the middle of the day. So maybe it was just that big shock. Um, And then a bit of culture shock of being in the city, but it was like, I need to have early retirement or at least be set up for something where I can work part-time or for myself and have that flexibility back. Mm, Yeah. So so this job was more of a typical kind of office job where you were working, um, you know, maybe not cubicle, maybe, maybe it was, but had very strict hours, very kind of strict business hours, uh, deliverables, or something like that. I, I'm trying to picture what your, that, that change from college life to work life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was at the the big Transco tower. So okay, it's, yeah, just big high rise in the middle of a cubicle farm, fluorescent <laughs> lighting. Uh, <laughs> everyone actually, I've been technically, you know, a remote, it's been a remote setup for my whole career, but I, I was still, I would drive to the office, sit in my cubicle, and then I would get on phone calls or video calls with my coworkers in Tulsa. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was actually pretty nice. I, I did work through the first six months of COVID before I left. And that was actually a pe- pretty beautiful thing where I was working in my living room and I could be on a phone call and watering all my COVID houseplants and <laughs> cooking breakfast and yeah that was I that was more enjoyable but everything had already been set in motion to to quit and leave so Hmm. I followed through on that what was your maybe prior to meeting Mike what was your vision on what you would do if you walked away from your job and how long did you think you would do it so I had this post-it note that I hid under my keyboard at work and it was called the great sabbatical and it was a year-long um, travel all across the world. So it, it had it mapped out by region of the world and how many months I would spend. So like three months in Southeast Asia, then a month in New Zealand. And then I was going to transition to South America for three months. And then I think my plan was to, by the end of it all, my plan was to spend at least a, a month or two in the Caribbean or Costa Rica, just hanging out. Wow. So what ended up happening is quite a bit different. Now, we can talk through that. To date, you've been just living in a van with Mike and traveling around the U.S. And I want to congratulate you off top, just like I did with Mike. You guys did the entire Pacific Crest Trail, you know, on foot, however many, what, almost 3,000 miles of it, 2,000 miles from- Yeah, 2,650. Yeah, 2,650 from Mexico to Canada. So- 
Yeah. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the question is, but you had this big dream of being a, a year abroad and yet the uh, realities played out a little bit differently. So talk me through that. Yeah. I mean, COVID mostly. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. also it was partially Mike built a van out and can't really start. I guess you can drive a, a van to South America, but you know, he wanted to go to a bunch of the cool climbing areas. I wanted to get in nature and I was a little worried about traveling internationally during COVID. And so mm-hmm. it kind of worked out to just hop in the van and we went up and through Montana and over to, we were chasing weather because we, we, I quit my job in October. Mm-hmm. And so we were just, we got as north as possible and then uh, started going west and we kept running away from snowstorms. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the first couple months were really enjoyable. It was all new things. We were being really active. Mm-hmm. Um, and then winter hit <laughs> and then we were in San Diego and we're on the beach in San Diego and it's gorgeous. And, you know, you get to walk on the beach every day. We were slacklining, but it, it started to feel just a lot of the same. And I didn't really feel like we were being challenged that much and you know there's only so many books you can read a day right. only so many hikes you can go on and you know like the day it's a lot when you're retired it's it's a lot of time to feel fill mm-hmm. um and mike had been talking about before he got in the van he was had been showing me all these youtube videos about the pct and it just it looked like a magical nature hardcore adventure but then a lot of community also. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in a van, I don't, it was during COVID. So I, we were so lonely. Yeah. We only had each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to meet you and your wife up in mm-hmm. Smith Rock mm-hmm. and hang out with you guys. But, you know, the only time we were talking to people is if they wanted a van tour. They saw us in a, in a parking lot and they were like, oh, cool van. Can I see the inside? We're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> Please talk to us. Do you want to hang out later? Uh, yeah and then and then we would be gone in in a week or anything so it's it's just so hard to make a meaningful connection and so the permit window for the pct opened back up and it was like we gotta do this or we gotta at least try because who who knows if we're even going to get a permit so we gotta at least try the lottery system yeah mike tells this story a little differently he was like (laughs) oh i you know i was a little worried about doing the pct it was all kenzie that wanted to do it yeah, well, I think he was the inspiration. And then okay. I think I have this thing where if you say an idea and you say you want to do it, it's like, okay, there's follow through. We're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, good for you. <laughs> you know, Mike, I think that makes Mike a little worried to bring things up because then it's like, oh shit, it's going to happen. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So we got the permit. And then it was, I think there was a lot of back and forth about it with Mike because he was like, this is our time off and do, you know, is this how we want to spend our six months mm-hmm. off and that amount of savings on, on a hike versus doing something else in the van, you know? And then at that, I, the permit lottery system was such a stressful day because you log in at 10 AM and you're putting a randomized number in this virtual queue and I'm number 10,000. Wow. And Mike is 8,000 or he was a lower number and, you know that there's only supposed to be 5,000 permits. And so you're like, oh, we missed it. But let's just stay on anyways. 
And then uh, the, the numbers are clicking down and clicking down. And, um, you know, we ended up both getting a permit. Hmm. And it was because people had logged in on like three browsers. Oh. And so we didn't, but we had no idea that you could do that. And so, uh, yeah, just the most stressful day. And then I just felt so grateful, you know, if not now, when else are we going to have the time to, to do this? We don't have a, because a lot of people, they, you know, they sell their house, they sell their car, mm -hmm. they quit their job, they get everything in order. And it was like, we have literally no roots. All we have to do is find somewhere to park this van. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I actually got to, let's talk logistics a little bit. I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you, but th this lottery, I'm not familiar with it. So would there be a possibility that one of you guys would get a permit and not the other, or do you can get a two pack or whatever? Like what was the reality of that? Yeah. So it's, you have to get individual permits. Mm -hmm. And so that's, yeah. Us being different numbers like that. It's like, holy cow, like I'm not going to get a permit. And he had it, he got his first and it mm -hmm. was on my birthday and he was on the fence. And I was like, maybe we should just type my name in because you're on the fence. But <laughs> then he typed his name in and just yeah, the, then the next hour is just probably the most anxiety I've had in a really long time. Um, but yeah, so they only have 50 people per day from March 1st to June 15th. Okay. Um, because they're trying to spread out the impact on the trail. Right. And then, so then there was a fear. Maybe we'll both get permits, but we won't have the same start date. Right. Okay. And that's what happened initially. It was like, I think we were going to start a week apart. And I was like, well, I'll just start first and I'll just I'll walk really slow or I'll just camp in the same spot for a week and wait for you to get there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Really? I didn't know that was something that can happen. They've got a volunteer at the terminus checking permits. And so it's more of an honor system than anything else. But uh, yeah, just high, high stress situation. And how did you guys eventually work this out till you could start together and do all this together? Or did you just kind of fudge it? I don't know what happened. We logged in two days later and there was still an open date earlier than we had wanted to go. So we ended up going March 20th because we could, we could log on quickly and switch both of our dates. March 20th was our start date. And we found that out like February 1st and Wow. So that we then we had a month and some change to figure out what the heck we were gonna bring and logistics and um buying all this gear. Wow. That's a pretty quick turnaround. That doesn't give you a whole lot of time to prepare. No, but that was the kind of nice thing about it is we we didn't really have that many expectations mm -hmm. and we didn't really have a clear schedule that we had to stick to. We were pretty flexible. Um, we packed up five boxes and had my dad send them to us in the beginning. But after that, we were just relying on whatever small town we walked through. Hmm. And that makes it nice because you're not trying to coordinate package logistics. And if you got sick of a certain kind of food, you're totally free to buy whatever junk is in this <laughs> small gas station in some tiny town. Uh, huh. Yeah, so it. I think it, it worked out and we had a little bit of backpacking experience, not a whole ton. The longest we'd ever both been out was two nights. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, Mike told me three, I thought. And still, that's that's a very, it's not a lot of consecutive nights on a trail. 
No. Yeah. And when we didn't have any of the lightweight gear, I, I had never even filtered water before. So, really? um, yeah, the, you know, we met people who hadn't ever camped a day in their life or backpacked <laughs> and they showed up at that Mexican border and they just went for it. Huh. Um, yeah. So all experience levels, all shapes and sizes. And, you know, the thing that you just learn as you do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're yeah. still, you know, maybe we think we're experts in something or maybe we're still doing it wrong. And it's whatever. Well, <laughs> you did it. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, that's why I wanted to have you guys on and, and to establish a little bit of credibility, I guess it's been a little odd. So mostly this website and this podcast has been dedicated to on, on more of the climber side. So I'm taking a little bit of a risk. Like, okay, is there, is there interest here in something completely different? Maybe as a side, were you into climbing at all? Or was that sort of more Mike's thing and you just kind of did it on the side or? I was into gym climbing. Okay. I was climbing in Houston at the gym. Okay. And then I, I've torn my shoulders multiple times. And yeah, so my last, the last two tears on my left, on my left shoulder were from climbing. And so I kind of gave that up. Gotcha. Yeah. So, all right, where do I want to take this? There's a lot I want to ask you. Um, just before we leave the lottery system, I just had one more question on that because, I mean, I think a lot of people who are maybe considering this for the first time will want to know what their chances are. I mean, it sounds like, though, with some degree of confidence, you can say as long as you're able to keep coming back to this, there appears to be some sort of window. It's not just one day kind of thing that you're probably a pretty good chance of getting one or do you not think that's a fair statement? No, I think that's pretty fair. Okay. I would say find out what day the lottery system opens and they already had their first opening for 2022. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, really? And that's where all the good dates are going to go away. So the, the best date hypothetically is April 15th. Oh, really? That late? You'll have enough time to get through the desert and then you'll be at the Sierra's june 15th which if it's a regular snow year you don't really want to enter the sierras before june 15th mm-hmm. um so but it's all dependent on what kind of snow year it is it could be a super heavy year or a super low year so we entered may 13th and we were totally fine because it was such a low year mm. um mm. so yeah i'd say that's the most cherished date but more and more people are going for um, a march date because they'll have more water in the desert and right. it'll be a little cooler. And, you know, maybe snowpack in the Sierras is a good thing because then you're not post-holing. So, you know, it's there's a lot of open dates and a lot of different philosophies, but I'd say that those good dates are going to go right away. And then if you really want to hike, just keep checking back on the portal every day and you're bound to see a day that has an open slot because especially as you get closer to March, People are realizing like, oh, I, you know, maybe I can't quit my job this year. Maybe, you know, maybe something came up or I've got a pregnancy or mm-hmm. whatever, and I can't do this hike. So just keep checking back and I'm sure you'll find something. Great. All right. Well, before we dive into the P- PCT kind of logistics or more details on that, I want to ask a little bit more of your backstory. You discussed discovering Mr. Money Mustache, and maybe for those who aren't aware, you can talk about what that website's about, what that meant for you and kind of what your original plans were in a financial kind of world, what your expectation was. Okay. Maybe you'll take a year off from work, but then what? 
So what was that original seed like for you? Yeah. So Mr. Money Mustache is the financial independence, retire early blog. And he is a software engineer out of Longmont, Colorado, and kind of a no-nonsense in-your-face person about finance. And, you know, he's like, if you have credit card debt, it's an emergency. You're Mm -hmm. not going to, you can't just slowly get out of this. This is like, stop everything. Your hair is on fire. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, it was nice to find him because he was a higher earner that didn't start inflating his lifestyle and um, coming out of school. So I went to Colorado School of Mines, which is an engineering school. Mm -hmm. And uh, the majority of people do go into the energy industry and they start making as 22 year olds, anywhere from 80 to $150,000 a year. And that's a lot of money as a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what to do with it. And um, yeah, I just, I found it and it felt like such a guiding light to not pass up this opportunity, blessing, you know, Absolutely. fortune that yeah. I was that I was getting um, as a 22-year-old. Um, and... So the idea is that you're, you're going to save half your paycheck probably or more um, to get to your financial independence number. And you, you talk all about this, so I'm not going to go too far into that. But, you know, I figured out I can live on, let's say, $40,000 a year. And that is very, very generous. That allows for a ton of travel and mm-hmm. spending money on the things that I value but still not going crazy in categories like rent or a car payment or frivolous things that aren't going to bring me value. Um, And yeah, I don't remember where I was going with that. Well, here's a question. I mean, (laughs) because, and obviously I I share a similar background. I also discovered his website during a very similar point in my life. But where I'm different from you is that once I discovered this path of saving and investing, I felt like that's all I wanted to do. And I wanted to hurry up and get there as soon as possible. And I just thought if I could get there soon, then I'll live my life. But you took this different approach and said, well, I'd like to take a sabbatical now, and then maybe I'll finish this later. Why didn't you just double down and just save, 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 and then just, in theory, have a life free to do whatever you want instead of taking this sabbatical and perhaps having to start over again? with this cycle of saving and investing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was just kind of the idea of like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I Mm. could, I've torn my shoulders, like I said, many Mm. times. And it was just the second time I tore it. I think I was 23. And it was like, it's just such a big setback from everything active that I had been doing. And you know, then I couldn't climb anymore. And then I couldn't do push-ups anymore. I couldn't do the workouts I wanted to. And it was, it was just such a mental setback that I felt like if I don't quit and travel while I'm young, like it's, I might not be able to, I might, I might be dead or my physical mobility might be severely limited. And, um, just kind of the idea of like, you know, I don't want to be traveling the world as a 40 year old or a 50 year old. It's, 
you know, I want to be with all the young kids, <laughs> all the Europeans that are taking their gap year. And I, I want to have that experience as a young person. Um, but you know, you're right. It does. It's leaving the workforce for a year is a lot of income that could have been saved. And so a, the early retirement date for me is probably pushed back by a couple years because of it. But maybe so. What? Um, you know, originally I was like 35, 35 is when I would retire for good. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But you know, maybe now it's 40. Right. And, but you know, I, I do value, I value the enjoyment along the process. And, you know, I don't want to be depriving myself of those experiences um, to get to a number Hmm. earlier. And, you know, maybe when I get there, I've got ulcers or I'm burnt out or I'm, you know, or, you know, whatever, my body's shutting down. So thanks thanks for sharing that. I think that's a really valuable addition to the conversation because I mean, I'll give you a piece of my story. When I met you in Smith Rock a year and almost exactly a year ago, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of did hit that number at 35, just like you were aiming for, and then started traveling and stuff at age 36, thereabouts. And it is very different from, and how old are you now, just for the record? 28. Yeah, it, it's it's different to go and live like that, even in your late 30s, than compared to being in your 20s when you're maybe, I don't know, society looks at you a little differently on expectations of what you should be doing at that age versus maybe 20s. I, you know, I could talk a long time about how it's different at that age, but in some ways I completely relate. And so what? If it's 35 or 40, life is still very long. Um, what was the calculus like for you then? Did you have some multiple of your yearly expenses you wanted to save before you felt financially comfortable or was that not really an issue? You were just like, oh, I'll just do this anyway and it'll be okay. To, uh, to be able to walk yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. a number for, right. Um, yeah, the, the finances weren't part of that calculation. Okay. It, it was more of a, I wanted to invest at my company. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was the five years. Um, you know, luckily I had been on that path to, um, you know, I have been saving a bunch of income. And mm-hmm. then, so I think about a year before I quit, I started a separate just cash savings account gotcha. and I called it van life. And it, <laughs> <laughs> because before I met Mike, I was thinking about, you know, maybe I'll buy, buy a van myself. I see. And um, yeah, so that way I savings account and I wasn't going to have to test to fund a year of adventure. And, you know, I said $60,000 in that in that savings account and to be really transparent, I've touched half of that in okay. 13 months. No, I appreciate that. That does. I think that'll be helpful for people. And when you say you were walking away from your job for vesting, was that for like your retirement accounts or like maybe some other stock that you got or what were you waiting on for the five-year mark? It was the employer contribution yeah. to the 401k. Okay. So they were, it was a 6% match and, you know, chunk of change I didn't want to walk away from. I did walk away from a lot of restricted stock units, mm-hmm. but you know, I think those are golden handcuffs and just, yeah, you know, are. you can always, I think that's the thing. It's like, you can always work another year. You can always, you know, you're like just a little bit more, just a little bit more. They and hang that like, carrot right in front of you every year. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I put up a middle finger to that. 
No, I, I, I really appreciate those details. And I think a lot of people will benefit from that information, especially if you're in the corporate world. I mean, for people that aren't, yeah, a lot of jobs will give you just a little bit more shares every year that have some sort of vesting schedule. And you're, you could all, like you said, the golden handcuffs of waiting that vesting schedule out, because there's always another one. In a lot of jobs, they'll give you a little bit more every year that you need to maybe wait three more years for to vest, and you can do whatever you want with them. And yeah, eventually you just have to to just put the hammer down and say, you know, I, I either I'm going to walk or not. Mm-hmm. And so you chose to walk. No, I appreciate those details, and maybe we'll leave it at that. Unless you have anything else you want to say on the kind of financial planning side of this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's whatever anyone's comfortable with doing. Mm-hmm. I think you set up what's important to you, and and you know maybe it is buckling down for the next ten years and taking lower level vacations or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just figure out what's important to you along the way. Okay. Well, let's discuss the PCT then. You probably have plenty of things you could talk about there. Take yeah. me through a day in the life. Like, what is it like for you? And maybe this evolved as the trail went on, you know, as you kind of settled into more of a routine. How did it look every day for you guys? Yeah, every day uh, you wake up and then you start planning your day on based on water sources and lunchtime and <laughs> how far you want to go that day. So um, we'd ha- we had an app. It's called Gut Hook, but they just rebranded to Far Out. Okay. Um, and, but it's got every campsite, water source, et cetera. It's, it's like a guidebook, but digital. And so, yeah, you start planning your day out and you're like, okay, we're going to do 25 miles. And so we didn't hike together. So a lot of the important conversations in the morning were like, okay, where are you going to stop for lunch? <laughs> Cause you've got the one stove and <laughs> yeah. we need to have lunch together. So where are you going to stop? Um, and where do we want to get to tonight? And then packing up the sleeping bag, rolling up the sleeping pad, um, packing down the tent. And then we didn't eat breakfast. We always, I always packed the bars that I wanted to eat before lunch. So I always had like five bars in my hip belt pockets that I wanted to eat over the next couple hours. You ate five and, bars before lunch? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were... <laughs> It was like good. It. Once we figured out that we needed that many, we, we felt a lot better. We, I, I think I starved Mike for the first couple months because really? I was in charge of groceries. And <laughs> I, you know, I always forget that he's twice my body weight. That's true. So, um, yeah. So then you just, you start walking and it's funny. I mean, it's just, we started at eight miles and then start, slowly started working our way up to 10, 12, 15. The first day that we did 20 miles, I remember it was just like, holy cow, you're hurting, your feet hurt. You're like, how did we just do that? And then that becomes normal. Hmm. And then it gets to a point where 20 miles feels like a low day. Hmm. Yeah. Even though you just hiked for <laughs> 10 hours. Um, yeah. So trekking poles, trekking poles really help you cover yeah. a lot of distance. Yeah. And, so uh, 10 hours, would you kind of go until it's just time to camp or would you kind of like have a a reasonable kind of chill evening or how did that look for you guys? In the beginning, it was a lot more chill evenings. We'd probably hike from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it mm-hmm. daylight, there was a lot of daylight. So um, 
eat dinner, have a whole chill evening. Um, we watched some Netflix that we had downloaded on oh, our really? phones. <laughs> yeah. Or if we were with people, we'd just hang out and um, chat. And then in the Sierras, it was so beautiful. So we wanted to slow down there. And so we were, you know, leaving camp at 9 a.m., getting to camp at 4 or 5 p.m. And have, always having a fire. Hmm. Um, yeah. So definitely we got to enjoy it. And then by Northern California, Oregon, you're trying to put some miles in. And so, you know, you have dinner and then you just exhaust it. You just hike 26 miles. And wow. so you're just, you're passing out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard this repeated from a number of folks who I've talked to have either done a good chunk of that trail or any sort of through hike. Um, you run into this situation where you kind of honor your own pace. And Mike said the same. So you guys really would just spend a whole lot of the day just being separate and just kind of walking at your own pace and, and reconvening at some point later in the day. Yeah. In the beginning, we were walking together a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I started to realize that if I was walking behind him, that one, the stride lengths were a little too big for me. Mm -hmm. And then two, I was holding my mind really blank because it was, it was almost like I was anticipating him starting a conversation or pointing something out. And so it, it was like, I wasn't having any of those introspective thoughts that I would have if we hiked separately. Um, and so we got to a point where it's like, maybe we hiked a couple miles a day together and then the rest, it was uh, separate. Hmm. And that, you know, it, I think it, it allowed us both to have some of the introspection and reflection that we both wanted to have. Right, right. Man, okay. Well, so you talked about wanting to do this for the social element to some degree. I mean, which seems like kind of an oxymoron. You're like out in the woods and you would think this is just some like lonely, solitary existence. But for those that don't know, I mean, like you said, with this lottery system, these are very popular endeavors, you know, relatively speaking. So, And I saw lots of photos of you guys with just crowds of people around. You guys are all filthy and, you know, not <laughs> shaven. And so it does look social to some degree. How much of that is you know, a few photo ops versus your day-to-day -day life. Yes. I mean, it's a pick your own level of mm. social that you want. Um, some people never want to hike alone. They want to have a conversation the entire hike and they mm. want to sleep with people at their tent side every night. And some people are like trying to recreate Reese Witherspoon and Wild, where they're like, if there are people, they're shunning them and, or maybe they'll have some conversations and then they're like, no, I want, to be separate. I don't want to form a trail family. I want mm -hmm. this to be my thing and my thing alone. And that is totally fine. Um, I think we chose a bit of a middle ground because we would hike separately during the day. And then, but then we obviously camp with each other and then camp with uh, one or two more people that we were hiking with and got along with and started to plan our days around that other person too. Hmm. Okay. So you would kind of travel with maybe a small group and just maybe come and go with certain people just based on pace or other side trip demands or whatever sounds like. Yeah. I'd say by mile 500, you kind of had people that maybe started a week ahead of you or a week after you, but you're all on the same pace now. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so you're leapfrogging each other a bunch. You're seeing each other at water breaks, at tent sites. You're starting to get to know them better. And then, yeah, if you if you get along with someone, you're like, hey, I want to spend more time with you. Yeah, then you just start saying, hey, hey, where do you think you're going today? <laughs> how, how far are you trying to go? Oh, oh, yeah, us too. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I mean, in what ways... What did you see that was unexpected that you just didn't foresee about this trip at all, but became maybe a reality? Yeah. The biggest thing, honestly, I had no idea that there was such a big community around it, that there were so many people that live along the trail or travel to be on the trail to support hikers. I had Mm -hmm. no idea that existed. That whole community of trail angels Mm -hmm. was out there and it was it was mind blowing, especially after being isolated for the past year mm. and, you know, politics, everyone's divided and no one likes each other mm. anymore. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we were going through a lot of rural towns and it was just like the kindness from these people that would open up their cars to stinky hikers who haven't showered in seven days and that they're not only like picking up a hitchhiker, which we told never to do right (laughs) but also saying hey my wife made me sandwiches and but you can have it and my wife made me a second coffee it's already got cream and sugar in it it's yours um yeah you know just yeah just kindness completely selfless selfless kindness from these people and people are opening up their homes Mm. during covid and they're saying yep like here's a laundry machine here's the showers your bedroom's upstairs there's chicken noodle soup on the stove. Wow. Like just mind blowing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's my favorite part of the trail, like the nature and the, the vistas mind blowing. Right. Uh-huh. But that kindness was just another level. I, I love that because that's not, I'm with you. When you first think of doing a, a through hike on some sort of big trail or, or any backpacking endeavor, you, what first comes to mind is solitude. And I've heard this repeated. Mike said the same thing. This system of support and very friendly, just, I don't know, you know, yeah, just kind of going way above and beyond. And you guys had some great uh, photos or videos on your Instagram accounts of just getting rides in the back of, I don't know, moving vans or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Just, and just ran. Yeah, you had a lot of that. And I was surprised. I knew that existed, but not to that degree either. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because we did so little research, it was like, oh, we didn't even know how we were going to get from town to town or get around in town. I just assume every place has an Uber hmm. after living in Houston. And it's like, <laughs> no, these towns do not have Uber. <laughs> they do not exist. So you, you ha- you're relying on these people totally. Wow. Okay. So there is there pretty much a network of people who have just like maybe do they move to the area just to support this every year or are these just locals who just over the years just know that people are out there doing this and just love being a part of it or do people actually immigrate in to be associated with this trail seasonally do you know i think it's a mix so you'll have Hmm. locals that started to see people come through from the trail and just embraced it Mm -hmm. and then you've got past hikers that were like when we walked through this town five years ago we fell in love and we moved here Wow, And then you've got people who uh, maybe hiked to the trail in the past and want to pay it forward. So they'll take a week vacation and they'll set up a truck in the middle of nowhere that has a keg and a taco stand. <laughs> and 
you know, right. and one guy's like, yeah, I'm, you know, my trial name is Joe Dirt. And uh, so, yeah, I just paint it forward. So do you have a trail name? Yeah, my trail name was Woohoo. <laughs> okay. What's the story there? <laughs> oh, it's just, it's a bad knock-knock joke. Okay. That's oh, for we a three-year-old. Right now. <laughs> well, knock-knock. Uh, Who's there? Woo. Woohoo. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty bad. Okay. Yep. Thank you. That's my specialty. <laughs> so did you start this joke? How did you get this? Were you d- doing this with everyone? Yeah. Well, it's uh, I made it up for a three-year-old, but okay. I've never had a three-year-old to test it out on. So I was telling it up to everyone. <laughs> and uh, then it just kind of stuck. Yeah. As they do. Yeah. But then it was nice. Whenever I would walk into camp, people would just, you know, they're cheering for you. They're saying, woohoo. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. It was a nice welcome. <laughs> Well, you're making this sound rosy, but of course you guys must have had some tough times along this. I mean, give me some, give me some reality. What are some tough stories? What are some tough times? What did you face? Yeah, I I think, so I've got the problem or benefit of any type too fun. I immediately forget the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but yeah, it, it is there. There were some really hard passes to go over in the Sierras. It, like your your legs feel like lead, hmm. your feet bones. <laughs> I mean, who knew you, that you could feel every single foot bone? Um, you know, your hips are hurting, your knees are hurting, you're tired, you're hungry. We were in the Sierras, a six-day stint. And on day two, we realized we didn't have enough food. And so by day two, we were, we're rationing the remainder of our food. And so... And even even then, instead of getting 2,000 calories a day, I think we were down to probably 1,000 calories a day, which wow. is not good no. when you're going to walk no. 15 to 20 miles a day. It's not good for sitting on the couch. <laughs> no, it's not. And um, so luckily, we had some friends that gave us, you know, an extra ramen packet here and there. Um, but that was probably the highest st- stress and most emotional time of the hike, just mm. because I think when you add in those external factors of being tired and hungry, your, your patience wears so thin Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just everything wears thin. So I think that was really the hardest time for us as a couple Mm -hmm. going through it. I remember we hiked, it's the hardest pass. It's called Forester Pass and it's just straight up. And then there's an ice chute up top and then snow on the other side. And I, we were, fighting or I thought he was mad at me and he thought I was mad at him. And so there's just so much tension and, um, you know, we're waiting, we're actually hiking together because it is going to be a dangerous pass. And, but it's just like, it's, it's gorgeous, but like neither of us is having fun. It, we're both just mad. And, um, yeah, we, we summited it. There were some friends at the top trying to make small talk with us and trying to ask about logistics and we both just blew straight past them and started the descent. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, just like tears rolling down my face. Um, and then, you know, then we got to the bottom of the pass and talked it out and it was like, we weren't even really mad at each other. Like it was just kind of all in our heads and um, <laughs> got to make up. Yeah. Just, just high stress and hunger and yeah. So, you know, yeah, there's there's definitely some lows on the journey, but I think that makes the high points that much more enjoyable. 
um, like one of my favorite parts in Washington right before the end is Stahican, which is a lake that you can only get to if you walk, um, fly or take a boat from the other end of the 50 mile lake. And it's just gorgeous. And our way into the lake, it had been raining the past two days and we hadn't had a break of sunshine to dry out our gear. Mm-hmm. And so we're wet, we're tired, same thing, we're hungry, <laughs> not as hungry, but, um, you know, still hungry. And then we got to the lake, the sunshine broke, our friends that we had been trying to catch up to were all there. And it was just like, you know, the world was right again. And mm-hmm. there's, I have a picture of it. It's all 10 of us lined up on the dock where we're jumping into this glacial lake and hanging out laughing in the sunshine. And it was like, that is one of my favorite memories. But I think having all the lows before it just made that high that much higher. Uh, You'll have to send me that photo so I can put it in the show notes for this. I love that. Did you ever at any point wonder, like, have I made the wrong decision doing this? Or did you always the whole time feel like I'm doing what I want to be doing right now? Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Uh, from day one, it was like, this is awesome. <laughs> That's what Mike said. He was like, Kenzie was hardcore. I was from day one worried I'd made the wrong decision. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where uh, yeah, did you get know. the idea to do, like you said, you'd never backpack for more than two or three nights ever. You just, you just knew this was going to be a good fit for you. Yeah. It, I, you know, I just, I like being outside. I mm-hmm. like pushing my body. Mm-hmm. I played college soccer. And okay. I think after that, I've been struggling to find something that I feel that passionate about to work out for. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, just having that larger purpose was like, yes, like finally. And especially being in the van and maybe not feeling very fulfilled, fulfilled mm-hmm. in our daily adventures. It was like, yes, like we've got purpose. Yeah. I, you know, I had hiked, maybe I, I had a little bit of experience. I had hiked a hundred miles in, um, it's called the Tour de Mont Blanc mm-hmm. in Europe. Yep. On yeah. the French side or the, yeah, yeah. You did the circle around on totally in France, right? Or is that partially in Switzerland? It crosses Switzerland and Italy and France. It's a oh. loop around, around that uh, Mont Blanc mountain. It's so incredible. And so, <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to, I guess I don't like calling it backpacking because we did carry backpacks, but we slept in right. a refuge hostel right. every night. And we had a three-course Italian meal. <laughs> you know, if you're having tiramisu for, dirt, for dessert, I don't want to call it backpacking. No, I know. We've looked into that. We've been in the area and we almost did the one. It's the single one from from Chamonix to where would it go to in Switzerland? Oh man, I'm blanking. But it would be, yeah, a week or two, but it it's pretty cush if you want it to be, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know you had done that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that one's a hundred miles. And so that was kind of like, I know I can hike a hundred miles. Sure. My pack is actually much lighter this time, even though I'm carrying more important things like a tent and um yeah so i kind of knew like i can hike 100 miles if we get to 100 miles on the pct without an injury i feel like we got this we got this in the bag yep Hmm. well since you gave me the lead i'm going to chase it a little bit and maybe we can get back to pct logistics 
But you talk about this idea of maybe feeling a little burnt out there in the winter, in the van, not having the purpose. And I, I, we definitely felt that too. And that's why we, <laughs> we bought a house and got out in the, in the middle of winter. I think winter becomes a tough time to live this lifestyle. But then you finished the PCT, let's see, back in September, I want to say, right? Mm-hmm. What's life been for you since? Because you kind of returned to the van and you're, let's talk about life after. How's it been coming back into civilization? It was an interesting transition. Um, It's been a little overwhelming. Hmm. Um, I'm the first. So I finished the trail or we finished the trail. And then I hitchhiked to Seattle because I had a flight that night to go to Alaska to see my college girlfriends because we've got a longstanding annual Alaska trip. And I I didn't want to miss it if I didn't have to. And so it all worked out that we finished the trail and then I could hitch a ride. Um, and so I went to Alaska right after for a week. And we went to Costco the second day I was there. And it was like, what the heck is happening in the world? Why would I need four jumbo-sized toothpastes? It was, it, it was just so, mm. there's just so much excess. And, mm. you know, I know it's a part of life. And, but we wore the same outfit for six months mm-hmm. and only showered once a week and it was fine. You know, nobody, nobody died. No one got an infection. It's like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, so just kind of seeing that excess and kind of seeing my friends' lives that were maybe still focused on consumerism. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It was an interesting dichotomy coming from trail, but um yeah, I think post-trail, it's kind of been like, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. You know, is it time to have another big adventure? Is it time to go back to the workforce? Um, I think I'm, after living in a van and then living in a tent, I, I'm just craving, like, somewhere to call my own that doesn't move every night. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you feel you need that? I, you know, it's just like, I don't know. We were in a hotel room and I looked around and it was like, people have this every night. People have a bedroom that they call their own and they have a nightstand and they've got their favorite book on that nightstand. And, you know, I just, I don't know how to put it into words. It's like, I just, it's not like I'm craving like a big anything like keeping up with the Joneses. It's just like, I'm, I'm craving something that's mine and mm. standard and I, I think I want to get into a bit of a routine again it's so hard to get into a routine when you're constantly like oh where are we going to sleep tonight yeah absolutely and maybe that was the routine from trail you know we, we did have a routine and then afterwards you go back to the van and you're like oh that's true yeah so what do you do to fill your time since you since September now that you've been back in the van you did mention you've been spending a little bit of time with family here around the holidays. We're recording this two days after Thanksgiving. So obviously that's been going on, but what does your day to day look like since you've finished the trail, which has got to be just so different. Yeah. Uh, it's been pretty low key. Um, day to day looks like waking up at eight or eight thirty, having some coffee. And then we try to work out or, 
it's, it's been a light workout for me. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of stretching and certain tendons aren't behaving like they used to. And so just trying to stretch those out and get a blank slate to start getting into shape again. Do you think yeah, this it, is it, a result of being on the trail, your tendon issues? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of repetitive motion. Oh, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's funny, like finishing the PCT and then feeling like you're not in shape because you're like, you used to hike more than a marathon every day, mm. you know, and 5,000 feet of gain every day. But here you are and you're like, I don't, you know, my cardio is still insanely low and it hurts when I run because I haven't ran in six months. So things just feel different. And um, yeah, just trying to get those back up to speed and then get my shoulders back, uh, you know, I'm at the point where I can do a push up again. So things are moving in the <laughs> right direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Not very many, but enough. And um, yeah, just trying to feel good and be healthy. We went from when you're hiking, you can eat a whole bag of Doritos. Yeah, you every can just day. eat trash. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. And but it's not necessarily good for you. And so we're just we're trying to get back in the swing of it and get a routine down. And again, that's that's hard to do in the van. And so we just spent two weeks at my dad's place in Albuquerque. And it was so nice just, you know, having a kitchen where you're going to make your coffee and then you mm -hmm. can read for a bit on the couch, do some puzzles, go on a bike ride, go on a hike, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I think I also want a place because I really want a dog. Mm -hmm. And I know you traveled with a dog and. That's right. In your setup. Um, well, you uh, you know, if you lived on a trail for five months, you could deal with the dirt the dog brings in. That's the that's <laughs> Except for all the human turds she brought in on her face. That was a little disturbing. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you get that because that was my big gripe with being on the road. You know, you, you guys have probably, maybe you haven't seen it because you don't have a dog, but people poop everywhere. And if you have a dog, they will let you know where it is. <laughs> and, uh, but otherwise, you know, it's just bringing a little dirt into the camper. That was our only issue. And, you know, getting stiff armed in the middle of the night on a smaller bed. But other than that, I mean, she's, she's like our daughter. She goes everywhere with us. So it was nothing new for us, but we'd had her for a decade already. So it was just kind of life. Yeah, totally. Harder to adopt a van or adopt a dog into a van. And our van's really narrow too. Yeah. I mean, so. I, I wouldn't start with that life and get a dog. <laughs> I would probably test it in the house first and mm -hmm. would be my recommendation. So tell me then, Mike alluded to the fact that maybe you're looking at returning to work. I, I believe your former job or some shade of it. What do you think your ideal life would look like going forward? Or do you just kind of go back to full-time work and, and kind of plug away for the future of maybe doing another one of these or yeah. What does it look like? Yeah. So now I'm, I'm on the fence of do you cultivate a lifestyle that's going to give you kind of the benefits of early retirement while not actually being retired, like, mm -hmm. you know, a profession where you're on your feet or highly engaged or outside. Um, and so we looked at farming and because I thought, yeah, that, Hey, that's everything from trail. You're moving your body, you're outside, you're, you know, you're in the nature, you've got a tangible physical result of your hard input. 
And um, so we spent some time on a farm and it was like, oh, I don't know if that (laughs) is really hard. And so, you know, I think I'm on the fence still of cultivating that lifestyle now or getting back in the workforce, finding something that I do think is meaningful, even though it might be computer based and then getting back on the early retirement train. Hmm. So Um, you're you're weighing the options right now. You haven't decided then it sounds like. Yeah. Very wishy-washy. Um, I think I'm just pretty big net and see what happens. So I am applying to jobs, um, focusing on something in the climate change sector or getting into renewable energy development. There's a lot more money for it, even coming from the majors. So like Chevron's got $10 billion over the next five years to spend on new energy development. Mm -hmm. So carbon capture, hydrogen or solar, whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I I do think climate change is the biggest issue facing our time. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel good when I'm involved in that. And so, um, yeah, looking, looking at those jobs and we'll see what comes. And if, if nothing's materializing, then yeah, who knows? Maybe go back to school. I don't have any money to buy or I've got money, but not enough to buy whatever acreage of land (laughs) I would need. Um, so yeah, just, it's kind of up in the air, but it's, it's stressful, but I'm reminded by something the wisest trail friend said. She's 20 years old, but she's could be 35. And she was reminding me that, you know, it's, you've got, it's a scary time because anything could happen, but that's also the best possible moment in your life is literally anything could happen. You've got mm-hmm. so many options and it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Well, tell me then, um, if you were to say, get back into the working world and you're kind of back to pursuing an early retirement, and let's just say you achieve that now at age 40 instead of age 35, what the hell would you do with the rest of your life? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, Well, I think I would definitely be living somewhere um, with easy access to nature Mm -hmm. and um, being really active backcountry skiing, hiking, mountain biking. And, you know, there's also um, the seeing eye dogs. Hmm. They, you can be a trainer and, you know, you can make 15 to $30,000 a year and train these seeing eye dog puppies. And I think that that would be a fulfilling later step in life. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you want to at least keep some degree of work in the equation, even if it's, I don't know, it, hard to define work per se, but. Yeah, and I think I need something. I mean, maybe it's international travel. Mm. Maybe it's volunteer work, but I, oh my goodness. Sorry, the printer just started up next to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about Robot that. Robot printer, printing, printing. Yeah, uh-oh. Um yeah, no, I, I think just seeing how the time off for me in this spot went, I think I would need something, um, something to keep me busy and challenged and mm-hmm. socially connected. I, I mean, that's a big part of being retired too, whether you're 
your age or like my parents' age, they're retired. And it's like, if, you, if you're not actively seeking that social connection, you're not getting it. And Absolutely. Yeah. I'll second that. So you've been, you had an expectation of this trip for maybe six months to a year. And now you guys are at what? Maybe 14, 15 months now? Yeah, 14 months. So, and you are, by your own admission, looking at new work, putting in applications. Do you think you'll end up back in Houston and how, or somewhere else or how soon? Yeah, kind of what, maybe you don't have the answer yet, but what's your end game and how soon do you think it'll be for maybe being back to a more traditional arrangement, being in an apartment or a house or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think ideally by January, um, we're in a house or an apartment in Colorado or Utah and um yeah adopting that dog and uh working working either remotely or in person in those locations yeah I'm I'm making sure I'm not going back to somewhere that I don't want to live I think it's a great you know people have to make that move for career or whatever um but that's just not a sacrifice I'm willing to make anymore gotcha no, I can relate. I've been there. You know, we just have a lot of history in common. Places, yeah. types of work. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to gla- glaze too much over the PCT. I mean, it's so such a big part of your life. Is there anything other advice you'd have for folks maybe listening to this for the first time that want to do this? Any sort of expectations versus reality? Any sort of gear recommendations? Anything? I'll leave it wide open to you because I just, I've done so little of this sort of thing. I don't even have the right information to ask. But what would you suggest to people? Yeah, I mean, I would say do it. <laughs> um, I would say don't have any expectations because okay. it's going to be a different trail. Any year you do it or any date, any different date, you know, everyone's got their own individual experience, whether they're seeing bears or seeing snow or running from a wildfire. Like it's, it's going to be a different experience for everyone. And just don't have expectations about it. And you'll be pleasantly surprised by whatever comes your way. Yeah, I mean, I also think don't don't expect some giant revolution revelation out of it. You're so thick in it that it all just feels normal. Mm. It, you're, you get so used to it. Within the third day, it it's your new normal. And um, you're going to change from it. But you're not going to be able to say like, yep, that was my epiphany. You know, I'm a changed person. It's going to be hard to put your finger on what's different exactly. But then I guess, you know, a reminder for me and for whoever else does the trail is like, hold on to it, hold on to whatever good feeling you had during it. Hmm. Cause you don't have to go. I mean, I I know I'm (laughs) looking at going back to a corporate world, but you don't have to. And um, yeah, we had a friend who was a foreign policy major in college and she got back to campus in September. She changed her major to mm. environmental science and she wants to study forest ecology now to protect those giant old growths that we got to walk through. So she so. was someone you knew on the trail? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Kazoo was her trail name. Kazoo. Okay. Shout out to yeah. Kazoo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do you feel change as a result of the tra- trail in a way that you can tangibly point to, or is it just something you kind of feel but can't really explain? Yeah, the second thing. Yeah, okay. Huh, it's like I know something's different. 
Um, I mean, I think you can feel, I feel a lot more confident. I feel it was so nice to not look into a mirror and really not care what you looked like or smelled like. And I don't think I had really body issues before trail, but just even after trail, it's like a lot of the time that you're spending in, on your appearance, like it doesn't matter mm. at all. No, I, I appreciate that, especially from like a female point of view, because us guys will go and celebrate how dirty and filthy and how many days we can go without a shower. But for a woman, that's a very different equation a lot of times, whether it's perceived or otherwise. But that that's a really unique insight. I appreciate that. Any other yeah. ways that it's diff- different for a woman versus a man on the trail? Like anything you'd say t- to the ladies out there? Like, I don't know. I'm, you know, used to things being just so at home. No, I mean, I think it's, it's whatever you want to make it. People mm-hmm. carry makeup if they want to carry makeup. Really? You know, I'm not going to say don't do that if that's something that you feel, but it's, I think it's just, it's really freeing to not care about your appearance and not feel that pressure. Hmm. Um, because, you know, everyone that you're meeting is in the same boat as you. No one's looking all done, you know, you're all <laughs> gross. No one showered. Everyone's hair is greasy. Yep. Um, everyone's got armpit hair. It's fine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, I think as a female, probably the biggest difference, though, is you're going to have a lot of people, strangers, asking you, like, oh, you're doing this all by yourself? Mm. Oh. And it's like, I wasn't even doing it by myself, and I still got those questions. And it was like, so what if I was? It's like, yeah, just you're going to have some condescension and just be ready to put up with that. Well, let's shoot them down. Let's just say, yeah, for those who have read or seen the movie in a wild with Cheryl Strait, she had some very scary, she had that one scary moment, right? Where she's setting up camp and some guy, or was it two guys kind of come out of the woodwork? And it's this very intense moment where she, you know, thinks something terrible could happen. Did you mm-hmm. hear any stories like that from women traveling solo? Or do you guys experience anything like anything to put anyone's mind at ease or not? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, very rarely it's like we we had a lot of single female friend hikers that would hitchhike by themselves Mm. everything's fine um there's the one kind of scary story i have is from kazoo she was hitchhiking solo trying to get back to trail she got in this gentleman's truck he drives her the five miles out of town to get her to the trailhead but then he just keeps driving Mm. and she's like sir that's the trailhead he keeps going. She's like, sir, you missed it. You missed it, sir. Pull over, pull over. He just doesn't even look at her, just keeps driving. And so finally she just yells like, pull over. And he does. She gets out and has to hoof it like the one or two miles that he had passed the trail by. Um, but really, I mean, I wouldn't be, I really, I wouldn't be more worried about bears than um, people. I mean, I think we're taught to expect the worst, but really, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the 1%. And so, yeah, I mean, I think as females, we just always kind of have our guard up. And if someone makes you uncomfortable, you you honor that weird gut feeling and you get away from them. Totally. Yeah. Live divide another day. Wow. Okay. Well, that's an interesting story. Do you guys have any, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to add to that, but, um, well, you mentioned bears. I mean, I asked Mike too, do you, I, you might repeat the same story more or less because you guys did this together, but. Any other moments that stand out? That's another thing I think a lot of people fear that don't spend a whole lot of time in nature is that there's all these 
predators lurking around every corner, like jaws or something that'll just, you know, eating people every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what's your input on that? Having spent this many nights outdoors and this many days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, there's snakes, there's rattlesnakes in the desert. So mm-hmm. you need to be on the lookout there. I'd say that's more dangerous than a, a bear sighting. The mm-hmm. bears are all going to be scared of you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we did have that one bear encounter where we got to camp and there's a bear right there and he doesn't want to leave. And we're yelling and clapping and adrenaline pumping. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't want to retell that story, but you just, you know, I, I think we saw birds. <laughs> I don't really, I was never really too scary. Um, there was one night where we were freaking out. We were in the tent. I was kind of the one time in a while that we hadn't had anyone else at, with us at, at the campsite. So it's just Mike and I we start hearing all these crashing noises. We're convinced it's a bear. And so we're trying to yell. And then I start playing a Tina Turner song really loud <laughs> on my phone. Uh, to, and we're singing along to it. And we keep hearing all these crashing noises right around us. So we barely sleep that whole night. And then we wake up in the morning and all around the tent is just deer footprints. Like it was just a deer crashing into stuff, trying to lick our salt off our packs, probably. (laughs) And Uh, you just embarrassingly are singing, which is Tina Turner's song. I got to know now. Oh, um, the rolling one. Oh yeah. Rolling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Oh, that's, I'm glad you told that story. Oh, well, then I guess it sounded fairly undramatic for you guys. No, yeah, no crazy it, it, storms, <laughs> no crazy, you, you just plugged away. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that's luck, part of that's yeah. preparation. Like, yeah. we, when we exited the Sierras in the middle, we knew that a snowstorm was coming, and so we hustled out of there, and then checked the weather when we were supposed to go back and saw, oh, it's going to snow a foot. We should just stay an extra night. So we've got friends that went back out and they've got some good stories, but yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm glad we were warm in our sleeping bag or in our hotel room instead of they were, you know, putting three of them in one tent just to stay warm and walking through a blizzard. And it's just like, you know, maybe those are better stories, but yeah, I'm Risk with you. is a lot higher, and I'm happy to be safe. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Have the undramatic, I did it and lived to tell the story instead of a bunch of harrowing accounts. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so great. Um, yeah, one more question on money. I mean, so it sounds like from I took from an earlier comment you said, it looks like you kind of left with an expectation of spending, but maybe you've come in even lower. What's the kind of expectation versus reality of like funding your life through this whole year plus now? Yeah, um, so it's actually been more expensive than I thought it would be. Oh, really? Be. Okay. Yeah. In that's what way? gas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially now. Part of it's food. Splitting groceries with, again, someone that eats much more than you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally, you know, it's all good. But um, just unexpected there. And the PCT was more expensive than we thought it would be. I, I think we definitely treated ourselves when we were in town. So you can get away with spending maybe... Yeah, three grand for the whole thing, but you might be roughing it more. You might be camping in the city park when mm-hmm. you get to town instead of a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or you might be splitting a hotel room with four other people, which I refuse to do because it's like oh, I'm <laughs> the one you. time I get um, a hotel room, I'm going to share it with my boyfriend. Yeah, totally. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so it can be cheaper. We definitely, I think we, we were on the higher end there. I think we both spent like eight to 10 grand on the trail. Per person? Per person, yeah. Okay. No, that's helpful. I appreciate that. I didn't ask Mike. And then, but we were eating probably better than other people were. We started eating food from a friend's mom that started a backpacking company, um, Mountain Mama. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, yeah, so we we definitely splurged there, but it, we felt a lot better for it. And um, we we were kind of starting from zero on the ultralight gear, so buying yeah, three hundred and fifty dollar yeah. ultralight quilts and all the good stuff. Kind of it definitely added up. So it sounds like on the low end, maybe three thousand to do this, and on the upper end, I mean, whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can go as high. As, I'm sure you could go and stay at the Ritz or whatever when you're coming sure. to town. <laughs> yeah. No, it, actually, I, you know, I didn't ask Mike this, but did you guys live together before you set off on this journey, or did you like move in together for the first time in a van? We moved in in the van. No way. Yeah. I can't well, I guess- believe this did not implode <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause I, yeah. I mean, because my wife and I lived together for a long time before we moved in a van, and there's just very different relationship challenges. And I've talked a lot about this on the podcast with different guests, so this will not be a new topic. But I'm really surprised you guys took this leap of just living together in a van for the first time. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? No, it, it was. I mean, we, we'd we been dating for eight months and then got in a van together. So it was an accelerated timeline. And yeah, no, you're right. It is a challenging environment to be in that small space. You are, you're literally always on each other's toes yeah. or in each other's faces. And so you, a lot of communication about it and figuring out like, oh, you know, Mike needs more alone time than I do. So like, I need to honor that and like, make sure I send him away. Like, you look stressed, go on a run. Or like, I need to just leave the van and go on a two hour walk. And, you know, so you figure it out. And yeah. And then I think that hiking together, it's another challenge and it's kind of a make or break it for couples for sure. And I think it made us stronger, definitely some hard times, but um, I'm so glad that he was there with me doing it. Yeah. Let me ask another prying question. Did you guys start uh, joining your finances more or less to do this sort of lifestyle or do you still kind of keep your stuff separate? You, you mentioned um, the food budget because Mike eats more than you. So you're obviously splitting food. It sounds like. Yeah. I think we've taken more of the roommate approach of okay. we're going to split things 50, 50 um, or yeah, some per- one person will cover one thing and the next person's got the next thing. Um but yeah, we've, we've kept it pretty separate and the van, you know, that's, it's, it's his van. He put all the money up for it, gotcha. built it out himself. Um, you know, maybe I made like one or two Home Depot runs, but it's, it's his deal. He pays the insurance on it. And so we split gas and split food and, um, yeah, you know, I, th- I think we're making it work and just trying to talk about it if someone feels like they're overextending themselves. Sounds like the age old, just communicate. 
See, it's a great, it's hard to remember sometimes, but yeah, it really works. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate this. What am I missing? What, what, what have I not asked you about that you want to get people out there to know about this lifestyle of yours, whether it's living in the van, going to the PCT, young people in corporate America. I mean, there's so much I could ask you about. What am I missing? I think there's so much fear to make a change if mm. you're unhappy. Like, I, I'm i the person that overanalyzes every single decision. Mm. Yeah. And it, it kind of puts me in paralysis and for things like, you know, where am I going to move? Where am I going to work? And it's, I just, I know people that have been living in a place that they don't enjoy or in a relationship they don't enjoy. And they just stay there or they're at a job that they don't like and they they just kind of accept that as like well you know it's okay. I guess it's okay um and my biggest advice is like it's terrifying to make a change or to quit your job but just do it and I think you know if you've got the experience or the chutzpah or whatever you want to call it like you can you'll always find something new or you know, find something better, whatever. Um, yeah. So I think my advice would just be to not let the fear hold you back. Mm, yeah. I can relate. Let me ask you a devil's advocate question. So there might be some folks listening being like, ah, you know, but look at all these people who've quit their job and now we have all these labor shortages and life's all harder than it used to be as a result of this. What are your thoughts on that? This whole kind of great resignation, which arguably you, maybe me, we're all kind of part of in a way. What do you think about that? Have you given that much thought? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it speaks to the fact that we're not willing to put up with the corporate America bullshit anymore. <laughs> like the age old thing of like, just put your put your head down and grind mm -hmm. through it. Like mm -hmm. that's not good enough for us anymore. And if we're not feeling valued by our employers, whether that's like compensation or just the work environment, mm -hmm. like we're not going to put up with it and we don't have to um, because there is the gig economy or there is, you know, remote work or there, there are, there's an employee shortage. So yeah, we can jump ship if we need to. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The dynamics I mean, have shifted. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think that it speaks necessarily towards the, the people just, I think more just the system. I mean, obviously there's people out there that just wanted the COVID unemployment check and, mm -hmm. you know, Sure. Whatever. I think if you if you claim unemployment, you should do the honest thing of still applying to jobs. Right. But right. Um, at least apply to jobs, <laughs> yeah. even if you're enjoying your time off. Yeah, it's an interesting subject. You know, I get these emails from time to time. And so I'm just always curious at what folks are thinking out there. There's a lot of perceptions and there's certainly no shortage of opinions. But no, I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that. Well, input. And it's funny, like, you know, my old company did offer me a job right when I finished trail in uh -huh. the exact same role that I had been. And it was like this time around, they were like, we don't care where you live. And before it had always been like, oh, well, you, you kind of need to be near the office. Mm. And because of because of COVID and worker shortage, it's like, yeah, remote, whatever. We just want you back. Um, so, yeah, I think you've got a lot more power as a prospective employee now. So did you choose not to take that job? I did. Mm. What was your um, thought process? I, I was this feeling of dread in my stomach that I 
chose to listen to. Even now, just thinking about it, it makes my skin crawl and my stomach feel really heavy. Um, I just think I liked the work and I liked the people, but I wasn't feeling challenged enough. And I think to just go back into that feels like defeat. And there's no way you don't think you could change that to maybe get more challenging assignments or you just kind of felt like it was going to be the job you had. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know your job, so I can't really ask intelligently, but. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I could have gone back in and said, you know, here's what I want to focus on. But Hmm. at at the end of the day, it was like, we still need you to do X, Y, Z for us. Mm -hmm. So it's um, like sustainability reporting. Right. So all these companies are setting these, um, these goals or they're, you know, they're, they're trying to look like they're doing the right thing environmentally, socially, and with their governance structure. And so if, if a company says, you know, Hey, we've got a great safety record or we've got these climate change goals. The next step to that is the data behind it to back up what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there, those are, it's through. Um, a big disclosure on their website. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could go to any company and type sustainability report and they should have some glossy document that talks about all the good they're doing. They should have a table at the end that has all the performance data. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I did do. And I do think it's important because, you know, if they're going to say they're going to do the right thing, you do need, they need to be transparent about it so we can believe them. And, um, uh, because otherwise, yeah, it might be all bullshit. Hmm. But yeah, just the idea that I would still kind of have to put up with that rigmarole. I and I don't really want a part of that anymore. I think I want to be more on the like next end of it. So like not just reporting about what we're doing, but actually on the, you know, being the person that is on the side developing the renewable energy that we say that we're developing. So when you say rigmarole, maybe this is me reading between the lines, but do you think there's a tendency towards companies to kind of claim some of these metrics without actually doing it in reality? Yeah, definitely. Um, And not always intentionally. I think it's just the kind of the way that the communications team is going to work. You know, they're trying to, it's a PR spin, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe they're not trying to mislead, but though if, if they take, if the engineering team gives communications, you know, five sentences, they're obviously going to redo it, right? Because engineers, we're not known for <laughs> how great we are at um, polishing. Structure. Yeah, yeah, polishing. Yeah, and uh, and so they're going to make it flowery or whatever, and they they remove five words, and you're like, well, that doesn't now that the sentence isn't true anymore, mm, yeah. and they're just trying to clean it up and make it look pretty, but. They don't know. And so it's it's a lot of tug of war. Um, and it's important. I just, I don't want to spend my brain power doing that side of it. I feel like my brain power would be much more effective, like calling up a farm and being like, hey, there's this new thing called agrovoltaics. We can put solar panels hmm. over your farm and you're going to lose less water because of it. Hmm. And the panels are going to be more efficient. And blah, 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 you know, and like actually getting these projects into the ground that need to. Hmm. Fascinating. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, man, I've been there. I've definitely did plenty of uh, PowerPoint polishing. 
<laughs> as a geologist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you miss it at all? Uh, that, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I do not miss that. There are things I miss that probably you can relate to. I miss some of the teamwork kind of elements of it, getting that kind of social part that as much as you didn't think it mattered, once it's gone, you kind of realize that it was an element, you know, of that mm-hmm. social element of, of, of teamwork. Um, yeah, there were parts of it that I uniquely liked. Like I actually was one of those rare people that liked giving presentations. And so maybe that's okay. why I now talk on a podcast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can definitely recreate work that honors those things to like what you're saying that honors the things you're really passionate about and kind of try and cut out a lot of the stuff you didn't like, which is kind of the beauty of having some sort of financial strength, which is, you know, what I write about all the time. But, um, a lot of people, and this is why I talk to people like you, a lot of people will do it with a lot less financial strength than I or my wife ever felt comfortable with. And I really value those conversations and those outlooks because, there's something about an element of security that we needed that a lot of people don't seem to need. And I find that really fascinating. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that as well. I think I, I, I feel pretty secure with the net worth that I currently have and the savings that I have to be able to do something like this. Mm-hmm. But I, I know people and we met people on the trail that they worked Uber or instant cart and they saved up just enough for, to do the hike. And that's it. it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's, I couldn't do that and feel comfortable. And, um, but yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. You, you sound more like us, but even probably less. So, I mean, and my wife would be even further along the spectrum than me in terms of security. Um, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. No. <laughs> I already know what else I want to ask you. Anything else I'm missing? No, I think we got it. Well, let's wrap it up there. I want to thank you so much for all this time, Kathy. We talked about so many things that I didn't even think we would address. So this is really cool. Cool. It's been good to talk to you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take care and we'll follow up soon. Good deal. Have a good one. Hi guys, thanks for listening all the way to the end on this interview with Kenzie King. To get in touch with Kenzie, head on over to your show notes where I've left a host of resources related to this discussion. One final note, I'll be taking the next couple of weeks off from this project, so stay tuned for early January where I think you'll want to come back for some interviews I've already recorded and I'm really excited about. So if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and you will see those exciting interviews when they pop up in the new year. Okay, happy holidays, everyone. Please be safe. Take all necessary precautions. And let's see each other all happy, healthy, and safe in the new year. Take care. Bye.